Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 83, dedicated to two-time Super Bowl champion who also wore number 83 during the glory days of the Indianapolis Colts. Mr. Brandon Stokely, and as always, thank you for listening and downloading two of the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about Tua Tungavailoa's Pro Day, ESPN's possible solution to the Monday Night Football booth, a non-sports topic that I believe is very fitting in the day in which we live titled, Check on Your Friends. But first, the J. Stevens Podcast is officially on Facebook, yes, the Jay Stevens podcast is on Facebook. I announced it on Instagram on the on the podcast Instagram page at Jay Stevens Podcast. Give that page a follow as well. Head over to Facebook, like the page. If you're not driving right now, I don't want you to be texting and driving. I know a lot of people are still going out to work or things like that, or getting out when they need to to help clear their own mind. Because staying home all day is dangerous. Doctors have even come out and said that staying home all day is very very dangerous. So I know people have gotten out. To to do things like that. But if you're just sitting around the home or you're working, listening to the podcast, head over to Facebook real quick, give the page a like, um, give the page a review, five stars please, and just keep this thing going. I'll be posting articles on the Facebook page that'll be only found on the Facebook page. Uh, there'll be conversation starters just to kind of connect the the uh, network and the group that listen to the podcast. And it's just a great, a great place for, for sports fans to enjoy healthy conversation about sports. So head over to Facebook, the JCS podcast, put it into the search engine, go ahead, like the page, review the page, five stars please, and let's keep the growth of the podcast going. In sports, we are kind of weird, kind of odd with numbers. Everyone has their favorite number, and if they don't have a favorite number, the number that they come in with, they might hoard that number and keep it throughout their entire career. So when a, num- when a new person comes into league, when you see a number, you may think of, oh, who wore number one? And a name comes into your head. Who wore number five? Well, if you're a, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you know Donovan McNabb wore number five. Or if you think of number seven in football, Michael Vick. If you think number 18 in football, Peyton Manning. If you think number 12 in football, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there are certain things that happen where you think of a certain number, there's a certain player that comes into your head. And you know whenever you go to a new team, Tom Brady going on to Tampa Bay, Chris Godwin had number 12. There was a decision to make. Would Chris Godwin give up number 12? Or would Tom Brady have to pay up some money to get number 12? What was going to happen? Well, going to the Falcons, there's a newcomer with the Atlanta Falcons by the name of Todd Gurley. And we all know in college he wore number three. In at in that for the Rams, he wore number 30. What number is he going to wear with the Atlanta Falcons? Would he change his number again or would he wear number 30? Lo and behold, he changed his number once again to number 21. If you're a football historian, a football nerd, a football nut, if you go back, you think who in the world wore number 21? With the Atlanta Falcons. Why would this be a conversation? Well, there's a guy by the name of Deion Sanders. A lot of people call him Primetime. Who really just made the number 21 famous. Very, very famous. A lot of a lot of your corners, a lot of your DBs wear 21 to pay respects to Deion Sanders and what he meant to the game and what he meant to them, that particular player as well. So yes, Deion Sanders wore number 21. He'd be thinking, well, if, if Todd Gurley wore 21, and Deion Sanders wore 21, how in the world is this possible? Didn't the Falcons retire Deion's number? The answer to that question is no. The Falcons don't retire numbers. 
at all. That's one of the oddest things I found out about this whole situation when the story came to me. I was like, wow, this is odd. The Falcons don't retire numbers. More what they do to honor a player, to pay respects to a player, they put them in the ring of honor. So they have the ring of honor where they uh, put you kind of like your your Hall of Fame or whatever for a football team goes around the stadium. Well, Deion Sanders is, is, is up there. His name's up there. But no, his number is not retired with that because they don't retire any numbers. So, the question, Todd Gurley was recently interviewed on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. And you know how it is. I'm going to ask you a question. Did Dion give you his blessing? Did Dion give you his blessing? Did Dion give you his blessing to wear his number? I'm sitting here like, man, I could have found something else to ask, but you know, it's a, it's a slower period. Uh, it's it, it's a lot of it's a lot less things going on locally at the moment. So these are uh, these hosts are just trying to find anything they can, find something interesting, or kind of stir the pot, the instigator, the number one instigator on the radio station. And while they kind of it kind of succeeded because Todd Gurley says, "No, nah, I didn't get that blessing. I, he didn't bless me." But you know how Deion Sanders is—he's going to poke fun. He's going to have some fun with you and things like that. So Deion Sanders came out and said, "Man, I was just messing with that young man. I was playing playing with him. I was basically saying, like, can you live up to this number? Can you live up to the hype? You know what? You know what Prime stands for. You know you got big shoes to fill, young man. Can you do this? Can you do this?" And it just finds it very very funny to me. That Todd Gurley came out and said no, and then Deion, Deion Sanders had to backtrack his statement and said, no, nah, I was just, just messing with him. I was just messing with him. But that just shows you, man, numbers are special. Numbers are odd. Numbers are weird. You, do you really think that if Michael Jordan didn't wear number 23, LeBron wouldn't, wouldn't have wore 23? <laughs> Not at all. No, sir. No, sir, Rebob. There are a lot of kids in Indiana, I'm a, as a Pacers fan myself, that are kids now that are wearing number 31 solely due to to Reggie Miller, and that's not going to change. We all do that. We all have jerseys in our closet where our favorite player or some of our favorite players are, and you're like, ah, well, they did that. I would have wore that number just because of them. That's my favorite number because they wore that number. Imagine, remember, Paul George, when he first came into the league, he wore number 24. All of a sudden, for marketing purposes and to help his brand, he switched to 13, PG-13. It seems fitting. It would have been great if someone would have given him that marketing tool early on in his career, but they did not. But numbers are odd. Numbers are weird. I love them. But one thing that Deion Sanders told Todd Gurley about wearing number 21 was this very statement. It's very true about how Deion Sanders played football. A number didn't make prime. Prime made the number. Let's go ahead and take a trip. To the D1 training facility in Franklin, Tennessee, the site of Tua Tungavailoa's pro day. Because I know if I'm a GM, a head coach, a scout for a pro team, an NFL team, I'll be chomping at the bit, salivating, trying to get my hands on this film to see how healthy, how far Tua has come. The NFL draft is about a week and a half away, and Tua Tungavailoa still has a lot of question marks around his name for certain people. Some people don't need to see anything else with him at all because they believe at what they have seen, um, the doctors that they have talked to, everything that goes into evaluating a quarterback, they believe they have seen everything they need to see. Then there are other people that are considering drafting Tua that are saying, man, is he healthy? Is he durable? The NFL is a faster game. It's a harder hitting game. Will his body be able to hold up to the hits? The, the Him being able to move better and move uh, different than he did in the pocket in college. He wanted to do that in the NFL. How is his body? Can he throw the ball? Can he throw guys open? 
I mean, what is Tua going to do if things get tough? If he gets hurt again and again and again, how is Tua going to bounce back? And on and on and on and on. And people have so many questions about Tua, and they're understandable. I mean, I, he's a great talent. He's a guy that's won numerous SEC championships. Uh, he's won national championships. Uh, he, he's a guy that you can rely on. Where Nick Saban, even as, a, even as a freshman, Nick Saban said, Hey, young man, I know you're new to this. I know I know you may be scared, but I need you now uh, more than you may think that I need you. The team needs you more than the team. You, probably, you may think the team needs you. I'm going to put you in. Take out Jalen Hurts, who has already done great things for us. Take out Jalen Hurts. Put you in in the second half. We're going to trust you to win us the natty. Lo and behold, what happened? Tua won the natty. And all of a sudden, this man, my goodness, come in second half in the national championship game where Jalen Hurts wasn't doing that good because he had to throw the ball. What happened? Oh, this freshman, man, this, this kid, this kid was good. He good, good. Man, he good. Man, he better keep playing. And he did. He did keep playing. Saban said, I found my guy. I have found my guy. I'm going to keep playing him. I'm going to keep rolling with this train because what he what he brings, the RPO aspect that he has in his arsenal, it's amazing. It's one of a kind, and we're here to keep it. But with those questions that I mentioned earlier, and even though people saw what he did at Alabama, with those questions, a lot of them go around his health. Is he durable? Is he going to be a guy that can play all 16 games every single year? People wanted to see one or hear from doctors, is he healthy? Is he healthy after having surgery? And number two, if he is healthy, how in the world is he going to look on the field throwing the football? Well, Trent Dilfer, who is known and does a very good job of working with quarterbacks, training quarterbacks and things like that. Trent Dilfer um, was asked by Tua Tagovailoa's dad, early, I think it was mid-January of this year, to start working with Tua to get him ready for the NFL. The NFL draft, the NFL process, knowing that Tua was going to have surgery, knowing that Tua was not going to be able to be able to uh, go to the combine to show off his skills uh, to, to NFL scouts, NFL GMs, um, head coaches, things, and things like that. To his dad said, hey, man, I want you, I would love for you to assist my son to help him get to his dream. That's exactly what he did. And lo and behold, Trent Dilfer, knowing he had, he's able to pull some strings and he's able to get some things done, he had a pro day for Tua. D1 training facility in Franklin, Tennessee was the site of that. And that was actually, that that uh, pro day, those wet workout, was tweeted out by Chris, Chris Mortensen at Mort Report on Twitter if you want to go ahead and head over and watch that watch his workout for yourself. And what I saw, there was a lot of good things from Tua. I watched it. It's about seven different seven tweets long, um, about two minutes per tweet uh, of his of his film from his pro day. And what they did was great. There was two different angles for almost every throw. There was a, your regular, I think it was uh, one angle. Then they flipped out to the one from the other side of the field to film that angle as well. This field that they were on was condensed. It was not your regular size 100-yard football field. So the throws had to be had to be condensed. They had to be um, catered and tailored to the field, the situation, and things like that. And what Trenton Delford felt like was able to be shown off right there in that setting. Yes, and it was great. I, I personally, I did not think they'd be able to pull this off um, right now with all the social distancing and no groups larger than 10 people. They said, hey, man, we're going to get this thing done. We got this. We want to we want to do this. Um, and they did it. And honestly, Tua looked better than I expected. Because me personally, my first instinct, my first thought about Tua is he is not durable. They are reported five different injuries from Tua that range from March 2018 all the way through November of 2019. Five different injuries over a 19-month span. A broken left index finger in March of 2018. 
missed zero games. A sprained right knee in October of 2018, missed zero games. A left high ankle sprain in December of 2018, surgery was needed, missed zero games. A right high ankle sprain in October of 2019, surgery was needed, he missed one game. A dislocated right hip posterior ace tubular wall fracture November of 2019 surgery was needed missed the final three and a half games of this final of this previous season and we all think Tua Tagovailoa, great talent, great arm, uh, that slant, those over those those intermediate 10 to 15 yard routes, 10 to 15, 20 yard routes. He's he's perfected them. He does them very very well. But when you have that last injury that I mentioned, the dislocated right hip with posterior ace tubular wall fracture. People are like, oh man, I can't say that even as I'm saying ace tubular, I have to slow down because if I don't slow down, it, it comes out all wrong. But when you see that injury there, you're thinking, man, is he going to be okay? I mean, you see this guy every single year, he's getting hurt more and more and more and more and more. You're like, uh, I don't know if we should drop draft tip number two, number three, number five, number ten. I'm not sure. Maybe we should go out and get a free agent. Cam Newton's still out there. Jameis Winston's still out there. I mean, hey, these are just guys that are out there that are that have shown they can throw the rock in the NFL. Not saying they're the most accurate guys. Cam Newton's not the most durable guy. Jameis Winston can't read a thing, but hey, I'm just saying, there are other guys out there that he might say, hey, uh, I don't know, Jameis don't get hurt, maybe we could help him, teach him how to read the defense a little bit, uh, but I don't know about drafting Tua, there are too many question marks to draft him this high in the NFL draft. Well, a lot of people, they salivate over this type of film, this type of tape. Me, personally, I like game film over over film where someone's in shorts and t-shirt and there's no defense. I, I get it. There's a, there's a, there's a time and place. I, I actually, with, with Tua in this time, I think it was needed for him to throw. I think it was needed for him to move in the pocket. I think everything that, that was shown here was needed because there's so many question marks. I mean, you dislocate your hip. Hey, bro. Hey, hey, we got so many. Hey, man, you can't come back. You can't even surgery. And then come back and get right back on the field, man. No, there's a time and a place. There's a there's a a, a process to this. And this this process seems way too fast. I know medicine. I know, I know doctors are great. But, man, oh, man, Tua, slow it down a little bit. You're scaring me because I don't know if it's worth this type of risk right now. Well, in this workout constructed by Trent Dilfer, I counted Nine different incomplete passes. Three of them were incomplete right in a row. But other than that, those 10 to 15 to 20 yard passes to a tongue of Iloa threw those very, very well. The, I think the, I think he threw a slant midway through the workout, um, which honestly he's kind of perfected that, where he threw a lot of short routes uh, uh, over the over the middle routes, slant routes at Alabama with the receivers, literally. They would get to catch the ball over the middle, and they were gone. It was, it was nothing. They would catch that ball. They're gone, quickly, gone. And something, okay, Tua, man, you got the slant. What about everything else? And there were times, as any other quarterback, they're doing, they're human. Where he did throw a few balls where they were high, uh, higher, where the receiver had to jump up a little bit and he couldn't catch it, went right through his hands, or they had to reach out a little bit too far. It wasn't like um, there were there were early on, early on a, a couple of his of his incompletions hit the receiver in both hands. It was not the best throw. But it hit the receiver in both hands, and the receiver could not catch it. Now, yes, the receiver can make you look better, or you can make the receiver look better. In those times, Tua, 
even though the ball was not was not right there properly, it sure was a couple of those times where the receiver could have helped two out and caught the ball. So that incompletion that I, that I tallied would not have been marked as incomplete. One thing that I think Trent Dilfer did that was very, very good for him and uh, for him being an unbiased person uh, was he had a third-party grade, a third-party quarterback coach score and grade this particular workout. Because everyone knows Trent Dilfer, he's a quarterback guy. He helps change quarterbacks all the time. So if you say, hey, Trent, I need you to help with this quarterback, help get him ready for the NFL draft. I need you to put on a, to put on a try to find a place for a pro day. I need you to find receivers that can help out with that. Trent Dilfer can do that, but then you also know Trent Dilfer is going to be on that radio train and uh, be going around the circle and be going around to different radio stations, the car wash style, as they, as they call it at ESPN, going all around and all around and all around trying to help and try trying to push the narrative that Tua is creating about himself and about how he will play in the NFL. So Trent Dilfer relayed this message to Chris Mortensen, gave him some notes from the workout that Trent Dilfer put together, the scoring and things like that, and then went all the way out and started to uh, give his own two cents a little bit about how Tua looked in the workout. Also, I forgot to mention this earlier. This workout that you found on Twitter got sent out to all 32 NFL teams. Even the team said, hey, we have no interest in Tua. Now you do. We're going to give this to you. We're going to give you this workout. So now you have no excuse. You can't say, I haven't seen him throw. You can't say, I haven't seen him move, move in the pocket. You can't say any of that because we're giving you film. This is what Trent Dilfer had to say um, after Tua's workout. Quote, I had a third-party quarterback coach score it. Three equals perfect throw on the face. Any person in the world could catch it. Two equals run after catch accuracy. One equals wide receiver made quarterback look good. Zero equals miss. End quote. And then the grades go like this. There are 52 routes that were ran. Now, there were more throws given because some throws were given to stationary people. But there are 52, 52 routes that were ran. 38 of those routes or throws got a score of a three. 11 got a score of two. One got a score of one. And then two of those routes got a score of zero. And then Trent Dilfer gives his two cents, his own observation of this workout. Quote, I then had him throw five 47-yard rip shots off a big pocket lateral movement so we couldn't crow hop into it. Longest throw I could create in the condensed indoor. Four of five finished on the head with hardly any arc to ball. One finished at the knees. His drop the mic throw was his last of the day his 72nd throw was a five-step drop lateral move to his left then flat sprint right and throw it 40 yard moving full speed away from his arm side he ripped a dime this kid has as much horsepower as you could ever want an incredible twitch to go with it i've never been around a kid that throws it better end quote and now i am sure because turin dilfer is going to be going around still he made some comments or people said it came across like he made a comment that Tua Tungvaluwa throws the ball better than Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino. And you already know the Boo Birds, the fans of those players, the fans of those teams that those players played on. Oh my goodness, people were losing their minds. Trent Dilfer, trust me, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hype man right now. He's going to do anything he can to hype his player up. Then he backtracked that statement and said, no, that's not what I said. What I said and what I meant to say, if it came across the wrong way, is that Tua Tungvaluwa throws the ball as well as Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino at that age. That's a completely different statement than what came out at the beginning. But 
If you were to, if you were to compare Ali Soy now to those two players, I would say, well, a lot of people did not watch them. And you're also saying that, well, Tua doesn't really have the velocity right now that a lot of high-level quarterbacks coming out of college do. And Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers were that. Now, Aaron Rodgers was not um, the all-world beater, but he was a great, he was a very, very, very good quarterback and very good prospect coming out of Cal. But, man, I'm thinking, I'm not sure, Trent. I saw that work out. It sure seemed like a lot of those, a lot of those throws the pop of the gloves, it sounded like that was there due to the microphones that were there in the in the facility. It didn't seem like all his throws had the pop, had the velocity that you would want on a high-level quarterback coming out of college on his throws. But no matter what it is, Tua's hips, Tua's movement, Tua's twitch look a lot better than I expected. And I'm sure if you get over to Twitter at Mort Report to find Chris Mortensen's Twitter feed where the Pro Day videos are, I am sure you'll get over there and say, man, the velocity really isn't there like, like we would think. The velocity isn't there, but... For Tua Tungavailoa, for him to lift and raise his, his draft stock, a lot of quarterbacks don't need pro days. They don't need them at all. They don't need combine workouts. No, they don't. They're just more formalities. Ever since Mike Tirico left ESPN to go to the NBC Sports, ESPN's Monday Night Football crew has not been the same. Yeah, you had Sean McDonough, and you had John Gruden. John Gruden was good. Sean McDonough was really a fan favorite. It got him up out of the paint. John Gruden went back to coaching. Okay, so you bring over Joe Tessitore, who fans love in college football. It seems like that's his place where he should be. Bringing to Monday Night Football, the platform's completely different, and, well, didn't seem like a good fit. You bring in Jason Witten from out of the NFL to the booth immediately. No way to groom him, no nothing. Didn't, wasn't good at all. Was not a good fit. Booger McFarlane. And that's all I'm going to say. And so this year, ESPN has a big dilemma, a big decision to make. Because right now, they're in fourth place, and you could probably find numerous other crews, play-by-play uh, -play crews that at other networks that are way better than ESPN's number one crew. You go to Fox, you have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do a phenomenal job. You go to CBS, uh, um, Jim Nance, I almost said Tony. Uh, Tony Romo first. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, phenomenal crew. You go to NBC Sports, whatever you say about Chris Collinsworth. Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels work to perfection. They're amazing. They're seasoned. They do a great job. And for some reason, with all the talent at ESPN, they can't get this thing right. I mean, ESPN probably has way more talent than anybody else out there, and they can't figure out who in the world to put in the Monday Night Football booth to make this thing successful so they can keep Monday Night Football. Well, lo and behold, an article came out this week that there is a rumblings, there is noise, there is talk that ESPN is having discussion about moving. Watch this now. You may be startled just like I was. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit to the Monday Night Football booth. And I'm sitting here like, why would you move college football lifers to a different sport, same sport, different brand? No, we're not doing this. No, no matter what, no matter if you like Chris Fowler in the booth or not, Chris Fowler, an NFL, I mean, college football lifer, first uh, got his job, first got a job with ESPN in 1987, been with college football since 1988. Ever since then, he's been college football, college football, college football. He is who helped. Who he is who helped make college game day, the pregame show, the three-hour pregame show, the show that it is. 
Brent Musburger decided they, they moved Brent Musburger to the SEC network to call that lead game. And then all of a sudden, Chris Fowler got promoted to call to being the lead voice, lead play-by-play man for ESPN and college football. Most of the time calling the biggest game on Saturday night there on ABC. Kirk Herbstreet. First got his, his first job with college football in 1995, and, well, we all know how Kirk is. Some Ohio State fans don't like him for him uh, just really just giving his opinion. I get it. I understand it. But college football lifers, and I am sure, those of you listening to my voice right now, you're thinking, Jay, are you serious? Are you making this up? Where did you find this? Is this true? Are we really going to lose Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit to the to the NFL to Monday Night Football and then have who knows who or who knows what's going to happen call the lead game on college, on for college football every single Saturday? It, there's talks about it. I mean, they have to make a big, sexy move. I mean, they're, they're, they have to. Because no matter what, they're going to continue to get that other, the other. Yes, we all know the Texans wild card game, the first game every single uh, playoff year. You know that game that the, that the Texans always play, which is always a dud, and somehow ESPN always, always gets it? Well, if ESPN had a better crew, if ESPN had people that actually wanted people to, that, that fans wanted to listen to, call a game, hey, they would actually have a chance to get that game and to get better games in the playoffs other than the Texans games but I am not a fan of this move at all I have not even tried to think about who would replace Fowler and Herbstreit in the booth on Saturday nights who would actually be the one to uh, uh, call the national championship and I trust me I would not like this at all I'd be shocked shocked if they decided to have Fowler and Herbstreit call the Saturday game for college football and call Monday night football are you still? Are you going to have Herb Street um, do his his meetings with the with the coaches on Friday? Fly back home to watch the Suns play football. Fly back to wherever game day is, do game day, and then go ahead and fly to wherever um, the college football game that night is, if it's not the same site as game day, and then fly to the site of Monday Night Football, do meetings with Monday Night Football coaches on Sunday, and then do, call the game on Monday. Are you going to have? Are you really going to have that? I'm sure as you're listening to the sound of my voice, you're like, Jay, that's a lot. Yes, but Herbstry is a very, very, very busy man. I don't think this is the right move for ESPN. And just even just even thinking about having those two men do Monday Night Football, yes, I am not saying they only do a phenomenal job. I surely will. I am a guy. Keep tradition. Keep the guys there. We love things like that. We love when people are doing something, when people are doing Oh, our favorite team. A lot of our favorite teams, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, on radio or television, there's going to be the play-by-play man. He's been there for for a long time. The color commentator, a lot of them are former players of that particular team. So when you think about a local broadcast, it is great to have someone there that's been there for a while. That's been there through the good, been there through the bad, been there through coaching coaching changes, locker room changes, culture changes. It's great for all that. And we all know with Kirk Herbstreit, with Chris Fowler, all of the things that they have seen. I mean, my goodness, Fowler was co- was covering college football while Herbstreit was playing. Let that sink in. So you want to take a guy that's been a college football lifer, done everything for ESPN, then all of a sudden take him from that to the NFL to simply help the company? I don't know. Fowler would tell you two of his favorite sports, college football and tennis. What does he call college football 
and tennis. The lead man for ESPN in both sports, and he is phenomenal at it. Yes, when he first became the, the head or the lead play-by-play man for college football, yes, he had some growing pains. He, he went through some growing pains. He had to, uh, to learn a little bit. Why? He It's new. We have all done new things in our lives. We have all done new things that are challenges to us. And that was a new challenge to Fowler that, well, over time, he got better and better and better. You may be thinking, Jay, if they don't do that, who is their lead man right now? Well, honestly, right now, the lead people to take the job is the three-man booth, which also I am not a big fan of that at all. The three-man booth are Steve Levy. Um, calling the being the play-by-play man, Lewis Riddick and Dan Olafsky, the color commentators. Steve Levy, I, I've already said a while ago, Steve Levy is my number one choice to do that. If you want to put Steve Levy there, put him there with Brian Greasy. I'm pretty sure the previous time I mentioned Steve Levy, I said Bob Greasy. No, put in Brian Greasy. They already call games together. They already have a chemistry. They already know each other's flow. They already know the jokes each other likes. So Levy already knows how to tee up and lead. Greasy into certain things, put them there. They will do a great, great job. Now, if you want Orlovsky to be there, which getting Wachusen away from the from the Jets would be hard, but Bob Wachusen, who calls radio for the Jets, Bob Wachusen and Dan Olavsky is my second choice. Two guys that already work for ESPN, they're already on the payroll, already have contracts at ESPN, and let me tell you, Another duo that would do a phenomenal job. I understand they've been trying to get Lewis Riddick in a permanent booth for a long, long time. Doesn't do a bad job. But Brian Greasy, Steve Levy already have chemistry. Bob Wachus and Dan Olofsky called games together during college football season. Already have chemistry. Those would be my one choice and my second choice. Levy and Greasy. Washusen and Orlovsky to go right into there to be the first choice and second choice to be to call Monday Night Football Gates. And trust me, you would that would solve so many problems. ESPN can start getting big games and getting big matchups there on Monday Night Football and lift the brand of Monday Night Football to what it used to be. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. As I know, I sound like a broken record, but you get the point. Do not move Herb Street. Do not move Fowler to Monday Night Football. If you want them to call both games, go ahead. Great. Try it. They may even say yes because they're company men. But what you're going to find, they're going to get burned out. And that's not a good thing. Not for them, not for you, and not for football fans like you and I. To close today's show out, I'm going to go ahead and go away from sports for a little bit. Something I have not done in quite a long time. I mentioned this on Twitter on Sunday evening that due to some conversations that I have had with one of my friends and there's some other people that, some other people as well, things that I've seen on social media. We're going to go away from sports and be talking about a topic that, well, I think needs to be talked about right now with what's going on in our country and what's going on in our world. COVID-19 has changed a lot. It's changed everyone's life. Everyone's life, everyone's life is affected by it. You may say, Jay, my life is not affected. I would say, actually, I think it is. You can say, Jay, I'm still working. I'm still going to work. Um, my hours have not changed. My days have not changed. My schedule hasn't changed. I'm still working. My life has not changed due to COVID-19. I would say it has. Keep listening. You could be a person that, well, you're still working, but you're working from home. Your life has definitely changed. You would say, I'm still working. I understand that you're working, but your place that you're working is different. You're not leaving the house as much as you used to. You're not gone for long periods of times like you used to while you're working. Your life has changed. You could be a person who is unfortunately not working right now. Your life has changed. 
everyone's life has changed due to COVID-19. And the way that people respond due to change is different, especially change when you can't do what you normally do to decompress or to keep yourself sane or to improve your own mental health. Some people work out at a gym and they love the gym workout, the gym atmosphere with that. Some people play, play basketball. And I have seen and I have mentioned here on this podcast how around cities, they are taking hoops off of backboards. They are putting boards on backboards so people cannot play. You don't know what someone's release is, but ultimately, if you go to a court and you're released after a long day or a stressful day or a release to just do something to get out of the house is play basketball. You and your ball, you go around, you shoot around, you call your boys, you play ball. You can't do that. You can't do that. And ultimately, people are hurting. People are trying to scratch and claw and find any way they can to find a way to decompress, to find a way for them to say, hey, I know that I know that this is scary, but I had to find a way to clear my mind and the ways that people used to utilize to clear their mind. They're not available right now. A lot of them are not available right now. You can only play so many. You can only play 2K so many times. I have been stuck playing MLB The Show. And as some of you know, I am still working. But even though I'm playing, I am still working. I play MLB The Show to kind of pass the time. Man, those off days, they get long, man. They get long, very long and very boring. You can only play a video game so long before you get tired of it. And ultimately, in this day and time, you go to social media. People are saying, stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home. If you don't stay home, you're the problem. And so many people are preaching this across the board. And you don't realize a lot of people are a lot of people. Doctors have said this numerous doctors staying home like this is dangerous. It's as it's very, very dangerous. You have no idea what you saying stay home. If you don't stay home, you're the problem could be to someone. You don't know what that person's problem. You don't know what that person has. They could have just overcome an addiction. An addiction is something. And all of a sudden, when you say stay home and they can't leave the house and they can't get the necessities they need to live their lives and they can't get out and enjoy some fresh air and walk around the park or or take a, uh, a jog around the neighborhood or or go for eight, nine, ten mile jog. When, when people are saying all that stuff and you're saying, oh, don't go outside, don't go outside you could simply get this virus by going outside people are like well wow this is crazy i can't go outside i can't do this i can't do that this is this is unfortunate this is crazy and they can say well if i can't go outside and i'm tired of 2k and i'm tired of mlb the show and i've watched ozark i don't want to watch tiger king i do all these things what's the next thing i can, I can do to help me pass this time it's because i'm so scared to go outside what could i do there's a bottle here a bottle they haven't touched for quite some time. They've overcome that addiction. There's a bottle there. They pick it up. And they remember about all those times, all those stressful days in a relationship, all those stressful days at work. They would go home and pick up that bottle. And it would take all their cares, all their worries away. Temporarily, before that moment, that's all they cared about. Overdoses are up in our country. People are at home. Anxiety is up. Depression is up. People are scared and all they're saying is stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home. And governors are saying different things like, hey, don't come outside. Some governors are letting people come outside. Some governors are not, are not letting people come outside. And on and on and on. And people are literally sitting here like, man, I need someone to talk to, but I don't know how to talk to them. We all have people in our lives that are scared. We all have people in our lives that we may not have reached out to as much as we used to. Or maybe we haven't reached out to them as much as we once did because life goes on, life happens. But ultimately, there are people in your in your phone book, in your contacts 
That, you, that, that need us. That need us right now. You may be seen. You may be someone that has your mind on. You're fine. You're able to find different things that to, to find different things to cope with what's going on in our country. But there are people that you know that they do not have the same way. They are not able to cope with what cope with uh, this pandemic, to cope with this disease, to cope with the stay-at-home order the same way you can. Check on them. Check on your friends. You have no idea what a phone call, what a FaceTime, what a Zoom chat. Uh, what a text message can't do for them. You have no idea what tagging them in a po- tagging them in a post and a funny post can't do just for them mentally. You have no idea what that can do. Yes, I am sure. The first time you reach out to somebody and you check in on them, you say, "Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay?" I know things are crazy in this world. I am sure you are shook by what you see on social media and what you see in the news with the uncertainty of COVID-19 and how life will be and how when life will go back to normal and if you'll be able to work sometime next month or in two months or things like that. I understand it's scary. It's a scary time. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, I'm going to send this text. I'm not, I'm not sure how the world's going to be receding. You may be thinking, well, hey, they're working. Oh, wait, they're not working. They're not working and they're financially fine. They don't need me. Guys, you have no idea. Even though people are financially fine, sometimes those are the ones hurting the most. We all remember Robin Williams, comedian, funny guy. We all thought things were going well with him in his life. He took his own life because ultimately things weren't okay. We have no idea how things are going in people's lives. We wish we could tell. We wish it was like, oh, there's a radar. Oh, there's a ding on my phone. I need to check in with Jay. Something's going wrong with his life. But that's not how life works. Check on our friends. They need us. And that time you see them going out to your neighbor, going out to the store on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, on a Saturday, don't get on their case. Don't go to social media to proclaim that don't don't go outside. Don't go to the store. Don't do things. Only go out for essentials. Because ultimately, them leaving is enough for them at that time to help them get away, to help them forget about COVID-19 for just a little bit. Staying inside, staying inside all day can be as dangerous as anything else we encounter. Staying inside, it's not good. This stay-at-home order, it's not fun. COVID-19, it can be scary when you look at the details and the dynamic of it. But in all of this, check on our friends. They need us. We need them. We need each other. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you're not on Twitter and you want to connect with the show, send your email to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that search for the podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 83 of the Jason's Podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace.